from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Women at Work on Business Radio. Here is your host, Laura Zarrow. Welcome to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm Laura Zarrow, Senior Director of Wharton People Analytics. And I'm also one of the many members of our country who's been stunned by the ways that locker room talk has entered into our national conversation. As you might expect, my being the host of Women at Work, I was appalled by the exhibition of sexist and barbaric talk by someone no other than a presidential candidate. But I'm also particularly appalled by the dismissal of it in our national conversation by so many of it as meaningless, harmless, or just what boys do, and therefore unavoidable. On the other hand, I've also been enormously impressed and encouraged by the outcry of women and men that have followed along with this increasingly open and productive discussion of rape culture, along with declarations by men of their authentic respect for women and the importance of sustaining it especially when no one's listening. And for that, I'd like to give a special shout out to the Amherst men's soccer team, by the way. As the host of Women at Work, this is obviously central to our mission. Women can't join, stay, succeed, or lead if we aren't safe and if we aren't fundamentally respected. Creating a culture of authentic respect is complicated work, and it's not just the work of one gender. As we always say, we are all in this together. So today, we're going to talk about locker room talk with two men who not only represent the best of what men can be, but who are also devoting their lives to education, advocacy, and the building of a more inclusive, diverse, and respectful culture in our workplaces and schools for everyone. In our first half hour, we'll be joined by the amazing Josh Labs, champion of gender equality and author of The Indispensable All In. And then we'll get the chance to talk with Professor Sean Harper, who wrote that stunning Washington Post piece on the uniquely important role men can play in stopping locker room talk. Our phones are open, and I'm guessing you might like to join in the conversation. If you do, you can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And we'd love to know, how are you dealing with locker room talk? How are you stopping it in the world that you live in? Um, While you contemplate that and give us a ring, I'd like to introduce our first guest. Josh Lefts is a journalist, an activist, and the author of All In, How Our Work First Culture Fails Dads, Families, and Businesses, and How We Can Fix It Together. Josh's tenacity and expertise have made him a formidable and positive force in the struggle for equal rights in the workplace. The Financial Times named him one of the top 10 male feminists. UN Women named him a global champion of gender equity, and Women at Work still list him as one of our all-time favorite guests. So with that, let me say welcome back, Josh. I'm so glad to be here. This is uh, such an important topic. And I got to tell you, this is not normal locker room talk. It really, <laughs> truly isn't. Let's, let's talk this out. Yes, I think that's an excellent place to start. So locker room talk means that this is what boys talk about all the play all the time, or even girls when they're in single sex environments. That can't be true. Yeah. It, not even remotely. Look, I mean, it, it, this, this is what's so disturbing. When when men around the country also heard Donald Trump try to claim that that's locker room talk, all millions of us were like, no, it isn't. <laughs> Look, I work out. I spend time in locker rooms. I hang out with groups of men. I, I it, For my book alone, I did 150 hours of interviews with guys across all walks of life. As a reporter, I have covered sports games. I have been in locker rooms after games in which the players are there. This is not normal locker room talk. That's an excuse for his repugnant 
description in a very flippant and boastful way of what is absolutely, unquestionably, uh, sexual assault. Undoubtedly. Is there, are there places, though, where we see that men have conversations that they wouldn't be having if women weren't listening? Yes, and vice versa. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and so what we have to do is draw, like, a really careful line here. There is no doubt that there are some people in this country who have a similarly twisted mind. Right. And, and even worse, who commit acts of rape and show off about it. And, you know, we do see this. We see this in those disgusting incidents in which there are... Uh, young women who are raped by gang, you know, groups of men who then mm-hmm. take videos of it. So there's no doubt that there are some instances of that. But in general, it, it just, it, I've never, I personally have never heard anything like that. I know other people who have said they've never heard anything like that. And so, you know, when, when it comes to talk about rape culture and language, what we can talk about is, you know, the, the kinds of conversations that usually would happen, that might happen, in which groups of, of men are together, groups of women are together. And at one point, that becomes rape culture. This is something that we all need to be very attuned to and very careful about. That's a really excellent point, because it is, um, there's a slope to it of the gift that we get when we are in same-sex environments and we can connect with other people who share our experiences. Right. Absolutely. And there are times that, you know, guys will be together. It's it's not, we're not the stereotypes. You know, usually if you're in a locker room afterwards, if you're talking at all, it's you're talking about what you just did in the game or, or, you know, the work that you just had or life. But, um, you know, in the instances in which we're going to hear sexual talk, even if guys are getting graphic, it might be them describing their own sexual experiences or lying about their own sexual experiences, which, you know, I, I read about in my book. People are always lying about sex and that confuses, you know, young men who are trying to understand sex. Um, and, and sometimes there is graphic discussion about women's bodies, and, and women do the same thing. You know, when, when they're in groups, sometimes they discuss men's bodies. But as soon as anything crossed the line into being any kind of description of unwanted touching, unwanted... Oh, my God. Force? Yeah. I mean, we all have to instantly have our ears perk up and, and say something immediately and not be afraid to say something and to speak up if that ever does happen. So even though it's not rampant, um, anytime we hear anything even remotely like this, we all need to feel empowered and strong enough to, to stop it. Now, Josh, one of the things that you do for all of us is you are this vocal, empowered man, and you stand in front of America and the U.N. and say things that people aren't always willing to wrap their heads around. In these intimate spaces, though, it's got to be really hard. I know it is just to stand up to bullying bystanders. It's a difficult thing for people to learn how to overcome, but it's essential that we learn how and that we find the courage. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that. And it's true. I mean, a lot of what I do is give voice to what a lot of men are already feeling and did never, ever feel they could say. So it's true, you know, there were a lot of people who thought that I, I would experience negative reactions when I started speaking out about what, what statistics really show. You know, for example, when I, when I tell people about modern men and modern fathers, how we're actually very involved, and the average working father spends three hours a day caring for his kids, and virtually all that to live with our kids, care for them in every major category every day. These kinds of things that, that break stereotypes, um, a lot of men, most men respond really positively to that because what they say to me is, I thought I was the exception. I thought the, I was the only one who was the good guy. I thought most guys out there 
were bad guys who ignore their families and go to bars and kick their feet up and do nothing. So, you know, the, the power of these stereotypes is, is still really terrible. So, yes, yeah, sometimes it's difficult um, to, to speak out in the way I do. And there are Neanderthals. You know, they do still exist. There are other men Clearly. like Trump out there who still see women as objects and who think it's okay to talk like that. And at that time, yeah, it can be very difficult to speak the truth. But those cases make it even more important to do so. It's, it's like standing up to a bully, you know, and, and it's given how rampant sexual assault is in this country. Um, it is absolutely essential. And I write about this in the book. It's essential that we get over that fear and stand up to the bully and speak out. Absolutely. And also speaking of fear and where it hurts men and it hurts the equity that's created by having men as engaged parents, um, there was a section of All In that talked about what men experience when they're operating in what's largely a woman's world and how they're seen uh, as dangerous. And that this kind of discussion that it's normal to be a predator really doesn't help. Oh, it makes everything worse for everyone. It makes things worse for women, you know, in addition to worse for men. This isn't a vicious cycle that we have. You're right. I mean, I wrote about media and the fear of men and, and like all these false ideas that we teach kids very early on, like how we teach children that, if you're lost, find a mommy with kids. Not a parent, but a mommy. <laughs> right. And, and so the book, I interviewed the head of the National Center for Missing Exploited Children, and she agreed with me. She said it's time to stop that. It's time to teach kids to, to find a parent with kids because men with kids are just as safe in general as women with kids in general at a playground. Um, so what happens when, when we teach people to fear men? It makes it much, much harder for men to be caregivers because they then get ostracized when they're on the playground. No one wants to talk to them or they go to the mommy and me groups and and they feel very alone because women see a man caring for their kids and they are afraid of them. And there are lots of men who have experienced being out in public with their own children and the kids crying because kids cry sometimes and people (laughs) assume that the dad must be a kidnapper. Right. Or or at, at best inept. Well, oh, yeah, I'm that best. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and that would at least be acknowledged that we're, that we're the father. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and so any time that you make it tougher for men to be caregivers, you are making it tougher for women to succeed in the workplace. And that's why all of these things, having a realistic understanding and speaking out to, to correct our understanding of modern masculinity and to rid our culture of toxic masculinity, these are essential for giving women and men, giving girls and boys equal opportunities in, in life. Absolutely. And it's also, you're, you're helping to create a whole generation of men that are also role models for our children who are can be caretakers and caring and tender and responsible in ways that they were never acknowledged that they could be by gender norms. Right. Yeah, and, and, you know, well, I appreciate what you say about me, but I mean, it's also what's fascinating to me, the more I, I explore this and travel around the world and, and do my talks and stuff, is that um, I keep, you, you know my background, I should tell listeners in case they don't know, in my work at CNN for years, I was a fact checker. So I learned how to see the difference between fake studies and real studies. And so I have found international studies in which men around the world are acknowledging that these stigmas hurt them. They want to be more hands-on with their families. They want to be more all-in. They want to be able to spend more time at home caring for their, their kids. But the societal norms against it are very, very strong. Um, and then you have instances like this in which you have you know, a man who is, is very much an outlier in the language that he used. Um, you know, what Trump said and the way he talked about women in general. I mean, he just insulted Hillary Clinton's body. Who does that? No, it's unbelievable. (laughs) You know, he's actually representative of extremely few men, but 
and people are very quick to, to paint a very broad brush and say that's a problem with men in general, and that only furthers the stigma and you know doesn't honor the changes in masculinity. We're, what we should really be doing, and what you're doing so well, is celebrating the fact that while there are men who engage in this kind of talk, obviously, and it's got to stop, there are so many who do not, who are changing the understanding of modern masculinity. And we, we need to keep pushing in that direction. And also, the other side of that, unfortunately, is that when situations like this emerge, that um, we don't dismiss it because we don't accept it as a norm, and so that we can start to look at it for the kind of pernicious problem that it is. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and another, you're right. Another piece of this is that um, sexual assault is rampant, and that doesn't mean that men are going around boasting about it. So it's important you know, that I say to you that while I, um, you know, while I'm saying this isn't normal locker room talk, um, it's also true that sexual assault can happen a lot. And another piece of what we need to do is, is shine a light on it. And yes have people um, be willing to talk about it. And, you know, within that world, it's really crucial that we also talk about the, the very large number also of male victims of sexual assault, including by, you know, women, men who are raped by women. And when those numbers came out a few years ago, it was shocking to a lot of people. And the more we talk about that, the more we do to drop uh, all the stigmas in general against victims and, and to get real and to come to understand that what we need to do as a society is focus on individual behavior and, and make um, the horror of bodily intrusion stop in general, you know, no matter who is doing it, and remove any shred, any suggestion for the Neanderthals that being able to walk up to a woman and grab her private parts is, is somehow manly. Because real men and real women, real adults um, who are mature individuals don't do that to each other ever. The change agent that I'm talking with today is Josh Labs. Um, and if you want to join in our conversation about sexual harassment, how to stop it, and the amazing role models that men can be for one another, give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. I think you're also bringing up something, Josh, that's really important about the relationship between the language that we use and how we talk about things, and the attitudes that we endorse and then how that affects behavior. And so one of the things that we've talked about sometimes jokingly and sometimes seriously on Women at Work is the pressure that women face to be like men and to go into the workplace and how important it is actually that women don't try and be anybody other than who they are. And that um, and John Gersma's book, uh, The Athena Doctrine, does a beautiful job of talking about the way that we hold all different kinds of attributes. Um, and yet we characterize some of them as masculine and some of them as feminine and that as men and women, we can possess all of them. And so that men can possess attributes that we correlate with feminine, but are the best of what people can be, like being caring and innovative and inclusive. And women are just as capable of exhibiting those that we correlate with male behavior, some of which are great, like leadership and strength, um, but others that can also be um, too powerful and uh, belittling and that... You know, if we don't recognize that we have all of these dimensions in us, then we don't we can't understand and honor when the unlikely person becomes the victim, when the male is the victim of sexual harassment. Right. 
No, you're exactly right. No, and, and I mean, I love that was very eloquent the way you just put it. And um, you know, when when we look at this, the more we can look at all of ourselves as individuals, the the better we are. You know, I, I was in this panel at Kellogg um, recently in Chicago, and I, I was or talking about this that one one of the best ways to overcome your prejudices about other people in all kinds of ways in the workplace have this mantra that I say to myself and that anyone can say to them, which is the only thing I know about this person is what I know about this person. And when you say that to yourself, you start to realize that that you probably were making a lot of assumptions based on looking at them, based on their (laughs) race and their gender and their hair. And and their shoes and the rest of it. Yeah. And you literally don't know any of those things. Um, and this is one way in which we all benefit from the tremendous developments from you know brave people in the LGBTQ community who have been pushing us forward as as a society. Um, because the more you know, that is all about breaking down traditional gender norms and traditional mm-hmm. expectations. But up against all that, you also still have a responsibility on men because we are a patriarchal society, and we are the result of, of you know generations of that patriarchal society. And sometimes people say to me, I think it was um, uh, maybe my interview when they interviewed me for the New Republic. The interviewer said, um, "Does it?" ever strike you that you speaking out about these kinds of issues seems to carry extra weight because you're a man. And I said, yes, and that's messed up, but it's also therefore a responsibility. So while we need to come to all, understand all of ourselves as, as individuals and we need to get past these presumptions, it's also true that men, because we are men and we do have the advantages of being men, there's a responsibility that comes with that, and that is to, to try to end those advantages and, and equalize the playing field. And that means that we have to be unafraid about speaking out about about the truth in all directions mm-hmm. and, and empowering ourselves to, to get past, um, you know, the, these backward madmen ways of, of seeing the world. And, and to me, that's what's happening right now. It's, it's Donald Trump and his fellow disgusting anachronistic cohorts locked in a tug of war against me and all the other modern men. And we just have to keep tugging until they fall down on their faces and we physically drag them into the 21st century. <laughs> you know, part of what's at the heart of what you're saying, though, that's really great, Josh, <laughs> is um, that this is about power and that when we have this kind of discourse around sex and the the sense that we can that women are objects and we can just do what we want to them and with them it's not about sex it's about power right yeah it, yeah right no it is and and the two are very intertwined it's, you know what's interesting okay so it's it's not about sex it's about power but it's also really important that we um understand how often those two things become entwined in people's psyches yes you know, no, no matter who is doing that so someone you know might have sexual impulses sexual desires and then use their power to to try to get those so it's not always clearly separated especially in the minds of of attackers and if you listen to even just the language that donald trump was using saying that he can get away with doing these things the fact that he even wants to do those things are aside of simultaneously his own um, you know, sexual hang-ups, but also his desire to express power. Right. So the extent to which they get entwined with each other it really is a big problem. And it's the same with, with women, you know, instances in which women have, have pressured men into sexual rape as men. It, it is, um, you know, often a combination of the two. So understanding that sex um, shouldn't be all about, you know, achieving power over someone else is really important, and I'm, I'm glad that you talk about that. Um, but also, I hear that phrase a lot, and I, 
I'm not sure it resonates with the people who are most troubled and most likely to be committing these horrors because I think to them they just they're, they're so intertwined that they don't have a real understanding of it. Right, that. and it's also complicated by the fact that in um, a culture with rigid gender norms, um, it, women are given power through their sexuality and by accepting being objectified, and. Right. It's also there's a complicated place where women find authentic power in it, which I personally still have a hard time wrapping my head around. But I respect that there are a lot of women who feel that way. Mm. And um, when those two things come together without consciousness and without mutual respect, um, we get these really dangerous dynamics and they backfire in ways that I don't think society expects. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying about, like, you know, using that for power. A friend of mine is a very successful businesswoman, and she told me that every time she has to strike a deal, she wears a really low-cut shirt and puts on extra lipstick. And um, she has every right to do that. You know, she, she's using – when it's with a man and only with a man. <laughs> right. Right. And, and so, I mean, she has every right to do that, and I, I don't want to even, you know, go in the direction of suggesting that, that, that the way a woman dresses ever means anything about what the man will be getting or experiencing sexually. Certainly not. Uh, but, yeah, people – can find power in expression of their sexualities, and um, that's great. I mean, you know, it's just another part of who you are. But as as a father of a daughter, you know, even though my daughter is a baby, so she's tiny, she just turned three, so she's not a baby, but, um, you know, I always had these concerns, and I was always watching out for them. Um, but I also have become even more attuned to that ever since she's born. And just the idea, it's so messed up that because of her gender, there will be um, men out there who will look at her and think of her as an object. You know, that, that's where rape culture comes in. That's the, you know, the most distant parts of rape culture, just the way that a man might just look at her in, when she's a woman, when she's grown up, and, and think of her in a certain way as though she's a thing that he can have. And that's, that's to me, where the core is. That's, that is really the core of it. We're talking about sex with young men, so, that, so young men come to understand what sex really is. And it's not also helping them develop a perspective on sex. And we talked about this with Peggy Ornstein, and you have a marvelous component of the book about sexual wealth. And mm -hmm. Peggy talks about intimate justice and how do we create a discourse, whether it's between ourselves as adults or with our kids and in society as a large, where we look at sex as part of a normal, healthy relationship that rewards the people in it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, this is why the lying about sex, the boasting about sex, and even the, you know, the incredible prevalence of TV images, which people start to think that's what sex really is, um, it, it really does mess up uh, the minds of so many people about what sex is and can be. And you're right. I mean, I have a chapter on sex, and then right after it, I have a chapter called The Sex Wealthy, in which I, I talk to this amazing couple who has an extremely um, healthy and very active sex life that's also very realistic about what sex and sexuality are. And all these things are intertwined, you know, the, the toxic masculinity and um, also the pressures on women, you know, through a very long series of ridiculous pressures on women, um, lead us all into these very warped visions of what it is to um, have sex and to, and to handle sex drives and to um, have sexual interactions with other people. And it can also lay groundwork to um, really terrible behaviors. And so to me, you know, one of the most important things for all modern people to do is to be very realistic about describing healthy, positive sexuality um, in a way that teaches kids 
this is a way that is is <laughs> this is a good way to live. This is a sensible way to live, and and this is how human beings respect each other in the world of sex. Absolutely. And you know, Josh, we have a caller. Um, you game. Right. So, uh, Steve, thank you for calling Women at Work. What's on your mind? Okay, I'm I'm a very loyal listener to all award shows, and I listen to your show quite often. And I, I do appreciate the the, the dual versions today. Um, my, my initial reason for calling was to kind of put them, get your, I guess, your input regarding men getting sexually harassed, which I, I believe Josh, is that your name? I apologize. Yeah, Josh. <laughs> okay. It'll just shine some light on, but um, it seems like there's a bias or a generalization against men as predators in the workforce, whereas, you know, coincidentally, I had three incidences in, involving me with people, women, um, I guess sexually harassing me. It's not something that I brought up. It's something that was acknowledged by other people, and those three people got fired at three different occasions. Wow. So, I, yeah, so I, I'm, not, I'm not a real stickler, but I understand that there's two sides of it, and sometimes <clears throat> it looks like the male side is more dominant, and that's not, in my experience, the case. No, I was sexually harassed by a woman. No, I, I hear you. When I was first starting my career, I was sexually harassed by a woman who had power and the ability to uh, shape whether I was going to have certain opportunities, you know, hang forward. I mean, she was really graphic, explaining what she wanted to do to me and um, drawing pictures, and it was uh, it was stunning. No, well, guys experience sexual harassment as well. And if you see, this is, this, is, this is very good that you're speaking out about it, that you called in to say this, because the more that we talk about this, the more we bust open all of the... Uh, the myths, and we um, we help get rid of all the stigmas that people might feel. This this can happen to absolutely anyone, and uh, the fact that it can happen to men is something that we need to talk about as well. It, it it ends it helps end the power dynamic and the suggestion that men are somehow always in charge of every dynamic they ever have with uh, with a woman. So, Steve, thank you so much for calling in. I applaud your courage. I love that you're listening to us, um, and I hope you'll continue to reach out when you can enrich the conversation. So, thank you so much. Um, we've been talking today with Josh Labs, journalist, activist, author of All In, and as you can see, um, a passionate contributor to making a more equal society. So, Josh, thank you so much for joining us on Women at Work. I always love having you on the show. It is such a pleasure. This is one of my favorite interviews to do. I'm so glad you're doing this uh, this hour. Uh, Josh, so take care, and we'll hopefully talk to you soon. Um, when we get back, we're going to get to talk with Dr. Sean Harper about the power of mentorship and how men can change the conversation. In the meantime, if you'd like to join it, give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. I'm Laura Zarrow here on Women at Work with Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, and we'll be back in a few moments.